0: Good morning. Welcome to Jesus' Secrets. Um, I'm teaching on three different parables today, all of them having to do with the end times. How many of you were raised in church? How many of you had end time theology? How many of you had rapture theology? How many of you had other theology? Pretty much if you were raised in a Pentecostal or Charismatic home um, or some of the mainline denominations that were like Church of God, Assembly of God, Baptist, Charismatic, you had, um, and some of the Reformed churches and the other churches, you had Rapture Theology. Um, And that is okay. I don't believe in Rapture Theology, but it is not something we should allow to divide us. Amen? Amen. Um, I was raised with that. Matter of fact, I have all of the charts in my brain. I think I could draw them out, all the horsemen and the whole entire thing, because every year we had a person come into our church when I was young and give us um, their theology. Now, one thing I want to point out about that theology without condemning anybody who believes it is that um, this was not something that was even heard of before the 1800s. Now remember that Jesus lived and walked the earth until A.D. 33. So that theology wasn't around until the Schofield Bible. Anybody heard of the Schofield Bible? And Darby was a man who came up with this. Anyway, none of that matters except to say, if I say some things that confuse you today, that is probably why. So without um, hesitating... My parable that I'm mainly focusing on today comes from Matthew chapter 25, but I'm not going to talk about it except for the first line that says, it's the parable of 10 virgins, and it, said, it says in chapter 25, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins. Now, when you see a word like then, you need to ask yourself, then, when is then? Then the kingdom of heaven will be like... So what we're going to do is we're going to back up and and discover what then is talking about. Now that's chapter 25. In chapter 23, Jesus is talking in the temple. Remember, the temple was the symbol for Judaism. The temple and sacrifices was all that really mattered to the Jewish faith and their rules. Okay? So he is in the temple and he is talking to both the disciples and the believers and to the Jews. And he begins to give a list of woes, woes to the scribes and Pharisees, this entire chapter is called. Now these woes basically say what one of the last woes say, and that is this. Why do you give so much time and attention to the outside of the cup when the inside of the cup is so dark? Now here's what he's saying. If you fix the inside of the cup, the inside of the cup will take care of the outside of the cup. Amen? So to focus on the outside of the cup never works. Now, toward the end of chapter 23, Jesus begins to give an end time prophecy. And he, he talks about different things. I, I don't have time to go into it a whole lot, but one of the things before this prophecy is he says, all of this blood... That you have killed all the righteous prophets. And then he says, even of righteous Abel and of righteous Zechariah. Okay, we've had so many sermons preached on Cain and Abel. You remember Cain killed Abel? And the reasons why Cain killed Abel. Well, I believe Jesus tells us right here why. Abel gave an offering to God of the first fruits. It meant something to him. He was in relation to God. Cain also gave an offering to God out of religious duty. Cain then sees that Abel's offering is acceptable to God and his isn't. So what does he do? He kills Abel. Okay, this is talking to us about exactly what the woes in the same chapter are talking about. Jesus is all about relationship, not about doing things things religiously. You can look the part. You can act the part. But if your heart condition is not about relationship with God, your sacrifice isn't acceptable. Amen? Okay, from this, Jesus goes in. These are Jesus' words in uh, chapter 23, verse 37. He says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now this is very important in interpreting chapter 24 and 25. Jesus is giving a stern warning that all of the blood of the prophets are going to come upon these people, and you're going to be left desolate. Now, when he says that, here's what he's saying They have rejected the king, and so he leaves them to their own desires, left with an empty system of religion without even its temple and sacrifices. And the word there is desolate. Now, we've probably all heard of the seven wonders of the world. um, The Ephesus temple, Artemis, you ever heard of that? One of the seven wonders of the world? Well, actually the temple in Jerusalem was far greater than Artemis. It was bigger. It was more grand. um, It had a lot more gold. And the Jews took a lot of pride in the temple. And the sacrifices that were performed in the temple. Jesus is telling them, how I wanted to gather you together. What is he saying? I wanted to be in relationship with you. But the only thing that matters to you is this temple. And what is he saying is going to happen to the temple? In chapter 24, now this starts with, chapter 24 starts with him predicting the destruction of the temple. 24 verse 1 says, then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. Okay, he's been teaching in the temple. He's leaving the temple and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. What are the disciples doing? Bragging on the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat down, they continued to walk. They sit down on the Mount of Olives. Oh, by the way, this is in ESV and I'm reading in New King James because our software doesn't have New King James. So there might be a word or two different. Sorry about that. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying... Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. Now, very rarely in end times' teaching, do you hear these questions mentioned, but there is no way you can accurately interpret Matthew chapter 24 and 25 without remembering that Jesus is answering these questions. OK? The disciples are saying, "When will these things happen? What things? The righteous blood is going to be on their hands. The temple is going to be destroyed. When is that going to happen? And then he says, and what are the signs of the end and your coming? So you have to keep in mind these questions that are being asked in order to interpret correctly. Amen? Okay. Now, all of these topics in these three questions are interwoven and sometimes, most of the time, it's difficult to determine which event is being described. Most prophecy is capable of both a near and a remote fulfillment. Did you hear that? You can read prophecies from Isaiah, from Ezekiel, from Jeremiah, and it was for the Israelites of that day, and yet you can read them and see that's for us today. That is going on right this minute, right? So if somebody comes to you and they are dogmatic about end times teaching, I am telling you there is no way that you can be. There is no way. And I believe Jesus had a plan there in that. I believe that his plan is this. Man can never, with a little finite brain, figure me out and put me in a box and tell my people exactly how I'm going to do it. Amen? But we certainly can listen and obey the word of God and its instruction. So the disciples are asking, and Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. See that you are not troubled. See that you are not troubled. troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. The beginning of sorrows. Now... I'm not going to say that. Okay. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Now I don't see any language there that tells the church that they're going out of this. What I see is the church being told that he who endures to the end. Here's what the word endures means. This is an amazing word. To hold one's ground in conflict. To bear up against adversity. To hold out under stress, to stand firm, to persevere under pressure, wait calmly and courageously. It is not passive resignation to fate and mere patience, but the active, energetic resistance to defeat that allows calm and brave endurance. Now, how do you know if you're enduring to the end? Heard the scripture? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As we, the longer we are in society, the more its perversion and corruption becomes normal to us. We are desensitized to what culture tells us. It tells us that a woman can be a woman or be a man or can be a frog or can be anything she wants to do. Listen to me. God made a woman to be a woman. God made a woman as the better part, as the helper to a man. We should be embracing that as Christians. And I'm old enough not to really care what you think. And the older I get, the more I don't care what you think. Because I am a woman. My husband was gone this week, and I told my KC, I told my cell group, I am not an independent woman. I'm dependent on that man, not for life. God would sustain me if He took him out today, but He's not taking him out today in Jesus' name. (laughs) I am a feminine creature made by God. Now, there's no confusion in this word. Men, you are men, and you are made to lead your homes. You are made to lead your children, but you don't have to. You can listen to society. You can believe what they say. And you know what you're doing? You're conforming to the world. Or you can be transformed. And you can say what that song said. This is my surrender. Because your way is better. Yes. Your way is better. Yes. There is an institution by God that has been set in place. And as Christians, we're not called to be troubled by it. We're called to be. Stand up in resistance against it. If a pestilence arises in 2020 or 2019 and tells us how many it's going to kill and how it's going to defeat us and this is going to be the end, we don't bow our knee to trouble. We stand up in the face of God. And you say, yeah, but many died. And if I die from COVID, then God had that in the books for me and may my life and my death glorify him. Right. Amen. Amen but we don't buckle. We don't teach fear and and doubt and unbelief because a pestilence has arisen. We say the word is true. I will stand on the word till the day I die. And only God knows that time. Amen? Oh gosh, that was way off track. Okay. Now the next part, verse 15, goes into the great tribulation. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time no nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake those days will be shortened. Now which question is Jesus answering right there? He's answering all three questions in my opinion. Now, this was very much fulfilled in A.D. 66. Have you heard of the Jerusalem War where the temple was completely desecrated in A.D. 70? One of the bloodiest wars ever. Okay, in A.D. 66, what happened? Rome started to conquer Judea. Started with the little towns outside of Jerusalem. And conquered, conquered, conquered. And it came to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the Jews' pride. Right? Now, Understand this about me. I am an Israel supporter. Don't ever say anything about a Jew bad to me. There is a Jewish connotation in all of these parables that we're not really touching because it's so difficult to know. Just know that God loves you, but God also loves the Jews. They were his original people, and we should support them with everything in us. Amen? Okay. In A.D. 66... The Romans came in and slaughtered the priests in the temple. In the temple. Now we know that according to Jesus and according to the law of Moses, to desecrate the temple is to shed blood in the temple. That's not a sacrifice. Okay? These priests in 66 were completely slaughtered. Jerusalem, this was a bloody, bloody, bloody war. And three and a half years later... How many years later? Three and a half years later. There's a lot of attention given to three and a half years. Three and a half years later, the temple was leveled. And what did Jesus say? Not one stone left upon another. And that happened. That was fulfilled in A.D. 66 and 70. Does that mean it'll never happen again? Absolutely not. Because I think this very picture is a picture of the end times and will be one of the signs of his coming. Now let me tell you something else that happened in this time. And look at, look at your history books. Don't even look at the Bible. You will see historically this is all recorded. In AD 70 when this happened, remember Jesus said? He, he just said when he's talking to his disciples, when you see these things happen, flee. Right? Woe to those who are nursing babies. He's saying, be be quick about it. Get out of there when you see these things happen. What happened in AD 70? The Christians who had listened to Jesus' warning fled and most of them went to a city called Pella. You ever heard of Pella? Pella was pretty much populated by the Christians that fled Jerusalem. They listened to Jesus' warning and they went to the mountains and they took cover and they survived. Hence the church and God's people was able to disperse and grow. Many of them went to different places and continued preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Oh boy, I'm all over the place. Now, I believe that Jesus uses these tragic, tra- tragic events surrounding the destruction of Jerusalem as a picture of conditions preceding His own return. He goes into saying, if anyone says, Look, here's the Christ, don't believe him. And then in verse starting in verse twenty nine, immediately after the tribulation of those days. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send his angels with the sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. This is something everybody's going to see. Amen. My first parable and point number one. All that. And now we're to point number one. The fig tree. If you're taking notes, um, the fig tree represents watchfulness. The fig tree, it says, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Jesus is saying, just as we see budding trees, we read the sign, oh, it's springtime. That means summer is coming. In the very way that we do that, we can read the signs of the times of his coming. Now, what is different now? Who was raised hearing Jesus is going to come? You better get your life right with the Lord. Who was raised hearing that? A lot. Well, guess what happens? As you teach something and you say something, people become indifferent to it. People become cold to it. People don't want to hear it anymore. However, it's a major theme in the Word of God. God is outside of time. So we can say, oh, well, I've heard this for 2,000 years. Every, every single generation has heard it, and they have. Did you know Martin Luther thought the Antichrist was the Pope? And the Pope thought Martin Luther was the Antichrist. How many heard Hitler was the Antichrist? Now, did these people, some of them, operate out of Antichrist spirits? Absolutely. When you're slaughtering God's people, you definitely are operating from an Antichrist spirit. Amen? Don't allow yourself to grow cold. As the fig tree blooms, and we can predict that it's summer almost here, we should be able to read the signs and times. If you haven't seen Christians persecuted on Facebook... I don't even know what to tell you. Our world is persecuting us. And persecutions is the fig tree budding. That's one of the signs that the fig tree is budding. Amen? Now, it says when you see all these signs, what signs is he talking about? Deception, wars and rumors of war, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famine, pestilence, earthquake. But the main one, love growing cold. Love growing growing cold. Anybody can hug a neck. Anybody can. But how many people, when somebody is being gossiped about, can stand up and say, don't talk to me about that person. That's my brother in Christ. That's my sister in Christ. Anybody can hug a neck. Anybody can say, love you. But can you really be transformed by the renewing of your mind and become like Jesus? See, the Pharisees could pretend a lot of things. They had all the right things to say and all the right rules to follow. And at the same time, the Son of Man, the Son of God is right there before them and they are plotting and scheming how to bring him down. Never let yourself be a part of a plot or a scheme against another brother so easy to do. Why? Because it makes us feel better. If we can all talk about how bad she is, then we look better. Amen? I believe the fig tree is budding. I believe the signs are there. I believe love is waxing cold. I believe mothers walk out on their children now. Fathers walk out on their children now unheard of things that go against nature and against how God created us. Why? Because love is waxing cold. Amen? Okay. Next one. Oh, no, I got to hit this. No one knows the day or hour. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but let me tell you. As in the days of Noah, as in the days of Noah, this is verse 37. So will the coming of the Son of Man be, for as in the days of no- before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the son- coming of the Son of Man be. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one taken, the other left. Can I just tell you something about rapture theology? As in the days of Noah. Was Noah taken or was Noah left? I'm asking. Noah was left. Everybody else was taken into judgment. Two men in the field, two women in the field. One is taken, one is left. We've been told, one's taken in the rapture, one's left. No, as in the days of Noah. Noah was left on this earth to what? Endure. Everybody else was taken into judgment. So these two people working in the field, the one is taken into judgment. The other is left to endure. I don't see the rapture theology. And then it says this, the word that's um, in the next sentence there is watch. And here's what that word watch means. It means to be aware, to be alert, and one more, to be awake. Awake, alert, and aware. Don't be an idiot. That's how I see it don't see things happening in our world and try to tell yourself, well, you know, we are growing as a people and and we're, we're changing and it used to be like this. Either base your truth on the Word of God, the truth that never changes, or go around and flop and flip like a fish and be moved by every wave of the sea and receive nothing from God. Now that's the word. Is that a hard word? Yes, it is. It is a hard word, because I believe Jesus gives us warnings because He loves us so much. He who endures, plant your feet, and you've got to be grounded in something so much bigger than yourself. Second parable, the faithful servant and the evil servant. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give him food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart... My master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him. And at an hour he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is a word there delay and it's the word konismo in Greek and it is a verb. And it is a verb that is completely relying on the choice of the noun what's the noun who is it that's delaying the master it means to while away the time by lingering tarrying, and delaying now here's what's scary both of these servants belong to the master hear my heart here because this is going to sound hard but it's not my words it's the word of God both of them were working for the master who's the master here they're both working for the master. One lives however he wants to live because he knows the master is delayed. But one is faithful, living his life in such a way that the master could come back at any moment. They both belong to the master. But one of them is sent to judgment. One of them is accepted. Now. You can say, well, wait a minute. God accepts anybody who believes. Yes, he does. And let me tell you what the word believe means. It's the word pistio in the Greek, and here's what it means. To believe something so deeply that it affects everything you do, that all of your actions come from that belief. See, if you really believe in God, you don't live any way you want If you really believe in God, it affects the way you live your life. Not religiously. Get that out of your mind. Woe to the scribes and Pharisees. But it affects what you do. And I want people to see Jesus in me. So therefore, I might not be able to do this, 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 and this. Oh well, I surrender. I yield that. I give that up. Because his way is so much better than my way. Ooh. The faithful servant is faithfulness. The fig tree was watchfulness. This is faithfulness. And now I'm t- to my main point. I hope I've got time. Yes. The wise and the foolish virgins. Ooh. Now, before we start this parable, everything about this wedding, please hear me. Everything about this wedding is the end times. Everything. There are so many details in this parable, there's no way that I could teach the whole thing. Amen? Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, there's the word delay again. They all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, Saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now, this is an appalling and scary parable, but it doesn't have to be. Amen? There were ten virgins. Now, a Jewish wedding party, um, these would have been mid-teens, about 13, 14, 15-year-olds, because typically brides were 15 or 16 years old. And these would be in the bridal party, not quite ready yet to get married. So these were young girls. They were all in the bridal party. They were all expecting to be in the wedding celebration right? All of them. Five were wise, five were foolish. Now, the words slumbered and slept there, I want to tell you what those words mean. The word slumbered means to become drowsy, half involuntary lethargy or drowsiness, which is apt to steal over one who falls into inactivity. Now, have you ever got drowsy and you do one of two things? You do something to rouse yourself awake, I don't have time for a nap. Or, you go into the nap. That is the word slumbered. The word slept is lying down to sleep, conscious, deliberate, yielding to it. You intentionally lay down to sleep. All of the virgins slumbered and slept. Some of them were prepared. Some of them were not. Now the most important thing about this parable is what is the oil? They kept these torches. It was a. Some say it was a little lamp but it, it really wasn't a little lamp. What it was was a torch-like thing that they wrapped in this cloth that burned and they would dip it in oil and it would burn for a while and they would carry a pouch of oil to be prepared. Well as we see five of them didn't have that little pouch of oil. So some of them were prepared and some of them were not prepared. Now, this is the hard part. They all thought they were going to be in this party. They all thought they were going to the celebration. Right? The all in this story represents the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. All in the New Testament is the spirit. It is the spirit of Jesus Christ himself. What is that telling us? They had the source of enduring. They had the source to continue the oil flow. Oh, I, I just remembered something. Anybody remember the prophecy of Zechariah in the Old Testament? He sees a vision and he sees two olive trees. He sees two olive trees. And these olive trees are attached to the menorah. Well, it says the lampstand, but we know it's a menorah. And what are these olive trees doing? They're giving a continual supply of oil. And then that's where we get this statement. Not by might, nor by power, but by the Spirit of God. A continual oil is what we need. What is it saying? It's saying that some of these virgins... Decided they were going to be prepared for the coming of the bridegroom. See, they never knew when the bridegroom was going to come. They had to be prepared, they had to be ready. You can lay down and sleep, or you can be alert and you can have your pouch of oil and you can realize how dependent you are on the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Not one of us has enough oil in ourselves to sustain us, we need Him every day, all day long. Or we can think we're going to the ceremony because we look like a Christian, we're considered a Christian, we make ourselves look the part like the Pharisees and the scribes and then come to the wedding celebration and he says, I don't know you. That's a hard word, but that's in our Bible. And this is right before Jesus goes and lays his life down to say, I know you won't do it perfectly. Therefore, I'm giving my life and becoming your savior. So I'm going to make a way for you to go to God through me. But I do require this that to become a disciple, I lay my life down. I say, I may have wanted to do this, but I'm laying that down and I'm trading it and I'm surrendering it and I'm going to be prepared and I'm tapping into this oil that I need to give me this endurance. And I'm going to tap into it often and regularly. The parables say this, when Jesus, they said, why would you teach in parables? Do you remember that scripture? He's teaching spiritual truth and he says, for those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. To all seven churches in the book of Revelation, the book of coming of Jesus Christ, to him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. You don't have to have ears to hear this. You can go out of here and say, oh, that's judgment and condemnation. It's not. It's not. It's an appeal to be watchful, to be faithful, to be prepared. And not to let yourself grow dull of hearing. And lured into a thinking that is contrary to the word of God. Now, the foolish discovered their inability to burn for a want a fresh supply of oil. They couldn't keep going. Their lights were going out. They wanted to rely and depend on those around them that did have the fresh supply of oil. But here's something we know. Abide in the vine. We can't abide in one another. Abide in the vine. They were depending on those around them to have what they needed. And they said, we can't do that. And I'm going to tell you something, the ooey-gooey, squishy, nasty love that we talk about nowadays would have said, oh, love would have given them the oil. No, love wouldn't give them the oil. Love would say, I can tell you how to get this oil for yourself. And that is, there is a vine, there is an olive tree with an endless supply of oil. And it's for you, just like it's for me. The wise possess this enduring principle of spiritual life. they go and they buy. See, they actually took the steps. No, you need to go buy for yourself. They went to buy the oil. But guess what happened while they were gone? The bridegroom came because they were not living prepared. They were not living faithful. They were going to do the necessary thing at the moment they needed it. No, that's not who we're called to be. We're called to take a stand today against anything contrary to the kingdom of God. And if you remember how this parable begins, it begins, then the kingdom of heaven will be like, you say, gosh, that means people aren't going to get in that think they're going to get in. I know it's scary and it's appalling, but Jesus is saying it doesn't have to be that way. I long for you. Remember what it said in chapter 24? It said if these days weren't shortened he shortens them for who? For the elect. I want to tell you one thing that we do know how we know that it's the end truly coming. I hope I'm not scaring anybody in here. Oh maybe. Listen, I I lived those days of being scared out of hell, you know. Anybody ever heard of heaven's gates and hell's flames? It was a, a Uh, tour that they did. (laughs) Yep, good old Assembly of God people in here. (laughs) They tried to scare hell out of people. Well, guess what? You can't do that. Because what Jesus is after is a heart change. And if the heart doesn't change, you won't change a flittering thing about yourself. Nothing. Here's how we know. Here's reading the fig tree. Universal persecution. Are we there? Apostasy. Are we there? Apostasy means turning from your religion or from your principles that you once held so dear and you've turned. And you've said, you know, I don't believe in God anymore. Science is making a whole lot more sense. Really? Have you noticed science in the last year and a half?
1: (laughs) Anybody got the
0: answers here? Science has no answers. Science almost always ends up at the foot of the cross. Persecution, apostasy, and worldwide missions revival. Remember what he said in, verse tw- in chapter 24? And this gospel will be preached to the ends of the earth. What do we need to be doing? Preaching the gospel with every step we take in our life. Every event we go to. Every relationship we have. We need to be letting it glorify the gospel of Jesus Christ. These events began to characterize Jesus' movement in the first century. Although not yet on a worldwide scale because of the internet, because of technology, it's all now on a worldwide scale. The only thing left before Jesus can come back is the gospel to be preached worldwide and it is being preached worldwide. So... What's the point of all of this? The point is, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, read the signs. Don't be concerned if we differ on a few things here and there. I will set you straight if you need me to. (laughs) Band, come if you would. But be concerned that the fig tree is blooming. I really want to challenge you in here today. Don't be a Christian in name only. Believe from a place in your gut where you've been seared with the seal of the Holy Spirit that determines how you act. Now, you can't worry about how you act. That's not the point here. You've got to take care of being connected to the olive tree that never stops giving that oil. It never stops. You read the word of God all of your life and you realize you know nothing. What book is like that? At some point you figure it out, not the word of God, because it's so supernatural. Every parable that I interpret now, I interpret it differently than I've d- I've done all my life. It's supernatural. There's not one meaning. There's many meetings. Stand up with me if you would. Listen, it does require a dedication. It does require discipleship. It does require trading your life for the life he has for you. And if you say to yourself, this is who I am and this is who I'm going to be, you cannot say that and say that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. I guess I'm getting to be one of those uh, preachers that uh, hellfire and brimstone, but I don't mean it that way. What I want you to see is somebody loved you so much and is giving you an opportunity for the best life you could ever have, the best marriage you could ever have, being the best parent you could ever be, the best friend you could ever be. Amen? Yeah. Raise your hands with me today if you want to be that disciple. And if there's anybody in here that is not a believer, then let's all pray this prayer together, if you mean it. Father God, I accept your Son, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and Savior. I don't want to be one of the five ignorant virgins. I want to be watchful. I want to be faithful. I want to be prepared. I want to abide in you, and I want your continuous supply of oil in my life. In Jesus' name, amen.